Good morning, 59th Street Church. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. I have a question for you this morning. How would you complete this sentence? I can't imagine Easter without blank. What would you put in that blank? I can't imagine Easter without a large family gathering, without a large Easter egg hunt, without going to church? Well, the obvious reality is that this year, most of us are experiencing the Easter that we couldn't imagine. An Easter without a large family gathering, without an Easter egg hunt, and without going to church. Well, at least without going to a church building. We are all experiencing a different kind of Easter this year, aren't we? But maybe there's something that God wants to teach us through this different kind of Easter. A couple weeks ago, a friend of mine wrote a Facebook post where she reflected on the fact that maybe it's okay not to feel pressure to rush a congregation back into the sanctuary in time for Easter Sunday, because the first Easter wasn't an event that happened in front of a big crowd. Jesus emerged from the tomb alone. The news of Jesus' resurrection was first given to a small group of women, and they shared it with Jesus' disciples who were huddled together in a room filled with fear. In fact, as I've reflected on this, I think the circumstances of this year's different kind of Easter are actually a lot closer to that first Easter than our normal Easter celebrations are. Think about it. Each of us is hearing the message of Jesus' resurrection as we're hunkered down in our various homes, many of us feeling afraid, like the disciples were. And just as the resurrected Jesus appeared to different people at different times, in different circumstances on that first Easter, he's doing the exact same thing with us today. Maybe you're watching this video early on Sunday morning, like when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. Or maybe it's Sunday evening when he appeared to his disciples. Or maybe you're watching this a week after Easter, like when Jesus appeared to Thomas, who wasn't there the first time. Maybe today you're decided to get dressed up for Easter, even in your home. Or maybe you're still in your pajamas. Just like the first Easter, the risen Jesus meets us in different circumstances, whatever those may be. As I was reading through the various Easter accounts in the four Gospels this past week, one of the things that struck me was how specific and personal Jesus was in how he encountered different individuals and groups after he rose from the dead. He speaks to Mary Magdalene's grief. He speaks to the disciples' fear, to Peter's shame over his denying Christ, and to Thomas's doubt. The universal message of Jesus' resurrection also speaks very specifically and personally to our particular circumstances. And so as I reflected on our current circumstances, the particular passage of scripture that I was drawn to is actually the one text in all of the resurrection and post-resurrection accounts in the Gospels that I realized I hadn't preached on 
at our church yet. It's the first nine verses of John's account, which is only found in John's gospel. And so today we're going to look at John chapter 20, verses 1 through 9. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. The beginning of John's account of the resurrection is quite different from the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Of course, this is also true more generally of John's Gospel. John includes many incidents in the life of Jesus that the other Gospels don't include. And so here in John 20, we see Mary Magdalene going to Jesus' tomb, but there's no mention of the other women who Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about. And when she arrives at the tomb, she sees that the stone has been removed from the entrance, just like we see in the other Gospels. But here, there's no mention of angels who proclaim that Jesus has risen from the dead, which we see in the other Gospel accounts. Now this morning, I'm not going to delve into the various ways that scholars have tried to piece together each of the resurrection accounts in the Gospels into one harmonized account and how they all fit together. Partly because I believe that each gospel writer actually includes what he does for a particular purpose. So this morning, I want us to focus on how John tells this part of the resurrection account. And what we can learn from how he tells it. And just like our Easter this year is a different kind of Easter than what we're used to, these first nine verses of John 20 also give us a different kind of angle on the Easter story, which I think will speak particularly to our very different circumstances this year. So the first thing that we see in this passage is that we can easily misinterpret God's work. We can easily misinterpret God's work. When Mary arrives at the tomb, she is the first witness of the most amazing miracle in the world that confirmed all of Jesus' claims about himself and that shows us that we can have hope in the face of death. But she completely misinterprets it. She sees an empty tomb 
with the stone rolled away. And her conclusion in verse 2 is, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Mary thinks that someone has stolen Jesus' body. And this is the message that she brings to Peter and to another disciple who's identified as the one Jesus loved. Now we find out later that, that this disciple is none other than the author of this gospel, the Apostle John. But Mary, she sees evidence of God's work, but she doesn't realize it. She misinterprets it. Now we shouldn't be too hard on Mary here, because her conclusion is understandable. If you went to the tomb of someone who had died and you saw that their body was gone, most of us would also assume that someone had taken the body rather than conclude that the person had risen from the dead. But that's the thing about God's work. It can be easy to misinterpret. We can look at evidence of God's work in the world and assume that we know what's happening or, or maybe even assume that God isn't at work there. When in reality, God is doing something very different than we're thinking. During this COVID-19 pandemic, it's natural to ask the question, why would God allow this to happen? Or what is God doing in the midst of this? And it can be tempting to make a definite proclamation that God allowed this to happen for this particular reason. Some of the reasons that I have heard over the past couple weeks include God is punishing the world for this or that particular sin. Or God is stripping the American church of non-essential things into a mode of simplicity. Or God is testing people's faith to see who will turn to him. We need to be very careful about thinking that we can definitively say why God is allowing this to happen because we can easily misinterpret God's work. Now, at the same time, there are some who would point to this coronavirus pandemic and say, see, this is why it's foolish to believe in God. How could an all-powerful, good, and loving God allow a pandemic like this to happen? For some people, they look at this pandemic in a similar way to how Mary looked at the empty tomb and assume that, God's not there. God couldn't possibly be doing something good through something that looks so bad. Someone must have stolen the body. God couldn't possibly bring life out of a grave or good out of a pandemic. Could he? Or could he? We can easily misinterpret God's work. And the second thing that we see in this passage is that God provides signs of his resurrection power. God provides signs of his resurrection power. After Mary tells Peter and John about the empty tomb, the two disciples run to the tomb to see for themselves. John gets there first. He doesn't go into the tomb, but he bends over and he sees these strips of linen lying there. Next, Peter arrives and he actually enters the tomb. Peter sees the strips of linen as well, but then verse 7 tells us that he also saw the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. And John makes this note, he says, the cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Now, why does John include these details in his account? 
Well, for one thing, these kinds of details are signs of an eyewitness report. Details like, like these show that the gospel accounts were not written like myths or legends. They were written as historical accounts told by eyewitnesses who were there. John saw those two pieces of cloth. But more than that, the specific details about these strips of linen and the headcloth are signs that point to God's resurrection power. They point to the fact that Jesus was risen. You see, the empty tomb itself could be interpreted to mean that someone had stolen Jesus' body, like Mary assumes at first. But the strips of linen and the headcloth point to another explanation. If Jesus' body had been stolen from the tomb, it's very unlikely that the grave robbers would have taken off the strips of linen and the headcloth and left them in the tomb. Otherwise, they would have been carrying around a naked, decaying corpse with them. Now, the fact that the cloths that wrapped Jesus' dead body were still in the tomb points to a living Jesus who left those grave clothes behind. Even before Peter or John heard about the angel's message or saw the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes, they saw this sign that pointed to God's resurrection power. We have heard a lot of very depressing news over the past few weeks. In fact, I've talked about some of that depressing news in my sermons over the past couple weeks. It's not hard to see signs of death and devastation all around us. And I don't want to minimize at all the reality of what so many people are going through right now. But one of the things that has given me hope in the midst of this in these past few weeks has been signs of new life, signs of resurrection power in the midst of this pandemic. The actor John Krasinski um, from The Office, he started a YouTube show a couple weeks ago that he's calling SGN Some Good News. He highlights stories of good news in the midst of this pandemic. He talks about a guy who left packages of toilet paper and hand sanitizer at his door for workers who were making deliveries to his house. He talks about an 81-year-old man singing Amazing Grace outside the window of his wife's nursing home room. Or stories of companies and individuals stepping up to produce much-needed supplies for medical workers, sewing masks, making more and more ventilators. Just this past Thursday night, our church had a Maundy Thursday testimony service on Zoom, and I was so encouraged to hear story after story of ways that many of you have seen God at work, even in the midst of this pandemic. High school students who are showing more of a hunger for God. Some members of our Chinese-speaking department who normally have to work on Sundays, but now are able to worship online with their brothers and sisters in Christ. Opportunities to share the gospel with people who might not normally be as open to it. Stories like these show that even in a pandemic, there are signs of life. There are signs of God's resurrection power. 
pointing to the fact that death and disease will not have the final word. And the question that we are faced with is, will we believe this? The last thing that we see in this passage is that we are invited to believe even while we wait. We are invited to believe even while we wait. Verse 8 of our text says, Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. John writes about himself here in the third person, describing the moment when he too walked into the empty tomb and he saw what Peter had just seen. No angels, no resurrected Jesus showing the nails in his hands, just some strips of linen and a headcloth. But that was enough for John. He saw and believed. These signs of Jesus' resurrection, although not flashy or foolproof, were enough to lead him to believe that somehow Jesus was alive. He was still waiting for what he would see later that night, the resurrected Jesus himself. But John believes here, even while he's waiting for a fuller revelation. Now we know that Jesus did that. He, he provided these additional revelations. He established the truth of his resurrection through many more signs, appearing to the disciples later that evening, to Mary Magdalene in just the very next verses of this chapter. And he also began to teach his followers from the Old Testament scriptures that, that the Messiah needed to suffer and to die and to rise again. And, and verse 9 of our text even alludes to that. So we have been given many more signs of Jesus' resurrection than just an empty tomb with strips of linen and a headcloth. But I know that there are times when we might feel a little bit more like Mary Peter and John in these first nine verses of John 20. Times when we wonder if it's all true. When we're tempted to despair. When we're overwhelmed with the realities of suffering and disease and death. And there are times when all we can see is a dark, empty tomb and we don't understand what it all means, like Mary didn't. We haven't seen the fullness of the resurrection yet. Can we really believe that it's true? One of the things that my wife, Rochelle, and I have been wrestling through is the fact that the due date for our baby boy is at the end of this month. And we have no idea what things will be like in our hospital at that point. Will it be safe to deliver this newborn in a hospital full of COVID patients? That's what things are like at the end of this month. What if one of us gets sick between now and then? It could be easy to get wrapped up in worry and anxiety over things that we don't know, over things that we can't control. But it is in moments like these that Jesus calls us to trust him even though we don't have all the answers, even when we're waiting for that definitive resurrection appearance. 
We are invited to believe even while we wait. To believe that this pandemic will end. That we will be able to gather in worship, in person, in our sanctuary once again. That schools will reopen. Praise the Lord. That we will be able to enjoy a meal in a restaurant. And that we'll be able to greet each other with a hug once more. But much more than that, we also believe that one day there will be no more pandemics. No more disease, no more death. We believe that what started with Jesus' resurrection 2,000 years ago was actually a glimpse into the future of our whole universe. As Jesus says in the last chapter in the book of Revelation, Behold, I am making all things new. We don't see that future right now. But do you have eyes to see the signs of God's resurrection power breaking into our world today? And will you believe in that future hope even while we wait in our present reality? This is a different kind of Easter, isn't it? But my prayer is that right now, wherever you are, whether you are at your wit's end trying to homeschool your kids or lying in bed fighting off sickness or grieving the loss of a loved one or whether you're just feeling bored watching Tiger King on Netflix and just wanting all of this to end soon. Whatever your circumstances, know that the risen Jesus wants to meet you there and he wants to bring his resurrection power into your specific situation. So I want to invite you right now to close your eyes, to bow your head, and to ask Jesus to do that right now. Ask him to give you eyes to see the signs of his resurrection power in your life and in our world. Ask him to forgive you for misinterpreting his work or doubting his care for you. And ask him to give you the faith to trust him even while you wait. Let's pray. Lord, this is a very different kind of Easter. And Lord, in, this, in, in the midst of the circumstances surrounding us, it can be hard to see the truth of the resurrection in moments, Lord where we hear so much about death and disease and fear. But we know, Jesus, that you are alive, that you are risen, and that you want to breathe your resurrection power into our lives and into our world. And so we pray that you would give us the faith to hold on to that resurrection hope, that all that we're going through right now will end, and that even the reality of suffering in our world itself will one day end too when you return. And so help us to see with eyes of faith the truth of your resurrection and the truth of your return, even as we wait in the midst of our circumstances today. Give us eyes to see ways that you are breathing your resurrection life into our lives and our world today, even as we wait for its fullness to come.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I would like to just give a closing benediction to all of you on this Easter Sunday. We invite you to, um, to both sing the, the closing hymn that is uh, posted on our YouTube, uh, but then um, here's a, a benediction of blessing upon you today on this Easter. Go now, or stay now, maybe in your homes, as God's chosen witnesses to testify that Christ has been raised and that we are raised with him. Do not look for him among the dead, but be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And may God the Father raise you from all that would entomb you. May Christ Jesus call you by name and go ahead of you. And may the Holy Spirit empower you to proclaim the good news that Christ is risen indeed. Amen.